morning. My name is Christy Danner, and I'm the Assistant Director of Worship here at MPC. Our scripture reading this morning is from Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. If you're reading in the Pew Bible, you can find it, find it on page 178. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. William Reed is severely colorblind, been colorblind all his life, of course. And for his 66th birthday, his wife and his kids clubbed together to get him a gift like no other. They called him out onto the front porch and and out he came. The family there was gathered and they handed him the gift. And there's all the usual chatter that accompanies these moments. Oh, you know, guess what it is. Oh, I can't guess what it is. Oh, open it, open it, open it. So he begins to to open it and he finds a box that's about, about the size of my Bible here. And he opens up the box and he finds a glasses case. And then he flips open the glasses case and he finds a pair of sunglasses. At this moment, he's a little confused because he can sense from his relatives real kind of excitement and anticipation. And it just seems like a pair of sunglasses. He's not really sure what to make of it. But then at his wife's encouragement, he puts them on. He puts them on with that kind of, you know, the sheepish hesitation you have when you're not sure how you look in something new? He feels a little bit self-conscious in that moment, but the very second they hit his face, all such thoughts vanish from view, and he is totally caught up in the present moment. Why? Because these aren't ordinary sunglasses. These are Enchroma glasses. You heard of these? The latest development in optical technology, and for the first time in his life, William Reed can see colors. He's silent, utterly silent, looking around, shocked at at everything he can see. Uh, He sees his birthday balloons and their bright, vibrant colors. He sees his family and their faces and their uh, colors and tones. He sees the, the trees and the grass, and he's just overwhelmed by all that he can now see. And uh, then it's this really poignant moment as this big burly man just begins to cry. Why? Because in one sense everything's the same, but in another sense everything is now different. 
His life has gone from black and white to color. And so his wife says, babe, you're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) We join Joshua this morning, verse 1, chapter 1. Turn there with me, if you would. In a difficult uh, position, he finds himself in uh, a very awkward and unenviable spot. Why? Because Moses has just died. We read verse 1. Moses, the servant of the Lord, is now dead. Now Moses, we need to understand, was an incredible leader in Israel's history. He is the one who led the people out of Egypt. He is the one who led them through the promised land. He has now led them to the very, uh, sorry, through the wilderness and now to the promised land. They're on the very border of the promised land, looking in there within a stone's throw distance of it. But now the Lord has decided that Moses is not the one who's going to lead the people into the promised land. That job is falling to Joshua. Now, at first we think, this is, this is great. This is an incredible moment in Israel's history. They've been waiting for all these years to have a place of their own, a land of their own, a possession of their own, as God has promised. And now Moses has, has died, and Joshua seems to have got a promotion, right? We read that he was what? Moses's assistant. So he's gone from getting Moses's coffee and getting his dry cleaning and generally doing whatever Moses wants him to do to being the guy who's going to lead the people into Israel, into the promised land. This sounds, this sounds like a promotion, right? Well, it's important to understand that he wouldn't have felt this way. Joshua wouldn't have been excited about this. He didn't call his wife on the way home. He didn't pick up a bottle of champagne. He wasn't Googling new cars that he was going to buy with his new pay raise. No, he would have felt tremendously inadequate at this point. Why? Because nobody wants to be the guy who follows Moses. Moses is just completely incomparable, completely incomparable in Israel's history. He is an absolute lion of a man. Turn over one page to Deuteronomy 34 where we get this description of Moses. It reads, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses is a lion of a man. And to make matters worse, the book of Numbers 12 verse 3 tells us that Moses was also the most humble man on the face of all the earth. Isn't that the worst Right? He's an absolute beast, and you can't even hate him for it because he's really humble too. Right? This is the guy that, that Joshua is now supposed to follow, and he would have had a real sense of trepidation about doing so. You don't want to be the guy who follows Moses. Well, in verses uh, 2 through 8, things actually go from bad to worse. Uh, from Joshua's perspective. Why? Because the Lord shows up and commands him to do three things. In verses 2 through 8, God commands Joshua to do three things. He gives him his first three jobs as the new leader of Israel. Now, no doubt Joshua is hoping for something easy. You know, as this leadership transition unfolds, he wants to get a kind of early win on the board, help him, help him with momentum here. Uh, but look at what the Lord asked him to do. Far from something easy, he's given the impossible. Job 1 comes in verse 2. 
where the Lord tells Joshua to arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. So, here we are. We're on the very border of the promised land. Moses is dead. There's no way he can be followed. But now I want you to take yourself and all the people from the youngest to the oldest, from the strongest to the weakest, and I want you to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Now, it's important for us to understand that this was literally impossible. At this time of year, chapter 3 tells us the Jordan River is in full flood. It is a raging torrent at its narrowest. It would have been at least a mile wide. And the Israelites are not seafaring people. They have no navy, they have no boats, they have no way to cross this torrent from the youngest to the oldest, from the strongest to the weakest. They are unable to get themselves across this river. And just think of the position Joshua now finds himself in, that this is the first ask he has to make of his people. It's like, if I said to you just now, okay, MPC, field trip, okay? We're going down to Great Falls, and all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, from the strongest to the weakest, we are going to swim right across the Potomac. Who's with me? Be like, awkward silence, right? Well, Joshua is in that position, but... Much more so, much more so. The people, he'd be asking them to risk life and limb for a task that is, is doomed. What a hard thing to be given. Second command, though, second job doesn't really make things any easier. Look at verse 6, where he's given the second job. Not only do I want you to cross the Jordan River, but I also want you to be strong and courageous. It's almost like God heard Joshua's knees knocking. Or he saw the expression on his face and and knew that Joshua was not excited about this task. And so he shows up and says, hey, be strong and courageous. In other words, this isn't the time to be, I, I can see you're worried. This isn't the time to be worried. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. This is the time for grit. This is the time for guts. This is the time to have steel in your spine and iron in your belly. In other words, don't just do this impossible thing, but do it boldly. Uh, you will do this impossible thing and you will like it. It's kind of like when we have a family dinner and there's something my kids don't like and they say, oh, Dad, I don't like this. I always say, yes, you do. It's your favorite. Okay? <laughs> uh, and they kind of roll their eyes and say, Dad. And I say, you will eat it and you will like it. <laughs> right? And that's kind of what God's saying to, to Joshua here. Not only will you do this impossible thing, but you will like it. Not only will you do this impossible task, but you will be bold and courageous as you go. What a hard thing to be asked to do. Then thirdly, third command, third job, I don't know, it's almost like the Lord kicks him when he's down. Look at verse 7 with me. Third command comes, yes, cross the river, yes, be strong and courageous, and then verse 7, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. You understand what he's saying here? God's saying, hey, one more thing quick PS, before you go and do this impossible thing boldly, remember everything you were ever commanded to do. Remember the entire law of Moses? Remember Genesis to Deuteronomy? Well, make sure you obey all of that as you go. So yeah, do the impossible, do it boldly, and make sure you are super holy as you do so. What's Joshua thinking at this point? He's thinking, this is impossible. I am completely ill-equipped to do this thing that you're asking me to do. I don't have what it takes, God, to follow you. Perhaps this is an experience that that you have had. This feeling of, 
inadequacy, this feeling that you don't really have what it takes to do what you feel needs to be done in your life. I know it's an experience I've had very powerfully at, at times. I, I remember being 19 years old and becoming a father. And you know that feeling? Remember, you know that moment when they let you leave the hospital with your baby? And you're like, they should not let us leave the hospital, right? <laughs> like, there should, like, who's in charge here? Where's the adult? This is terrifying. I feel completely inadequate for this task. I remember feeling completely inadequate when we moved our young family to the States at at 22. My wife and I had this moment on the plane where we kind of looked at each other and were like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Is this going to work out? This might be a terrible idea. And then when the plane landed in Jackson, Mississippi from Edinburgh, Scotland, okay, we thought, hmm, I'm not sure we belong here, right? I tell the story, but, you know, it's one of those planes with the kind of flight of steps, we steps down to the tarmac, okay, so our family all trapes down, and uh, we're standing there, and I just feel this oppressive heat, okay, it's Jackson in August, and um, I turn around, and I'm right beside the plane engine, so I'm like, oh, that, you know, that's the heat, okay, yeah, <laughs> so I walk about 50 feet, and I'm like, whoa, I still feel an oppressive heat, right, and, oh, man, that engine's really hot, you know, I walk a few more feet, and I'm like, really, it dawns on me, no, this is just the weather here, right? Oh, unprepared, ill-equipped, not having what it takes. I remember feeling ill-equipped and unprepared when I moved up here to become a pastor at 25. I remember feeling inadequate and ill-equipped when I became your senior pastor at 30. You know that feeling? Like when the dog finally catches the car, (laughs) like what does it do? (laughs) You know? Um, Just feeling like, I don't know. And, and not just, I don't, this feeling isn't just one I look back on. I feel, this, I feel this a lot still. feel inadequate. feel like I don't have what it takes to um, love this wife as well as she deserves. To raise these kids the way that God's calling me to. To pastor this church in its growing complexity. On a thousand days and a thousand ways, I'll feel like I'm not sure I have what it takes. And I don't think I'm alone in that, feel, in, in that experience. I think all of us experience this in some way or another. That sense of inadequacy, that sense that we're not sure we have what it takes. For, for many of us, it, it will be in the workplace. Perhaps you're, you're new. Perhaps you've moved to this area to start a new job. And you really are just hoping that no one finds out you have no idea what you're doing. Or perhaps you're experienced. You've been here a long time. But then you feel the pressure of always being looked to as the one who should have all the answers. You know, whether you're trying to become a success uh, and not sure you'll be able to, or whether you've been successful and you're not sure you're going to be able to keep it up, all of us in our workplaces can feel a sense of inadequacy. To wonder, do I have what it takes? Maybe it's not in your your workplace. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's with relationships. Maybe it's a a wondering and a longing whether you'll ever be loved like you want to be loved. Uh, Perhaps it's a wondering whether you've got what it takes to love the people in your life as well as they ought to be loved. Whether you're going to make it through the challenges with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, the challenges with your spouse. Do you have what it takes to make it through? Perhaps it's not that kind of relationship. Perhaps it's, it's parenting. Perhaps it's that relationship with your kids. Do you have what it takes to give them all that they need physically and emotionally and intellectually and spiritually? Are you raising healthy kids or are you screwing them up? Do you have what it takes? And surely all of us, at one point or another, have sensed a feeling of inadequacy, 
sense that we don't have what it takes when it comes to our, our spiritual lives. Perhaps because we've been caught up in some ongoing struggle, some ongoing sin that we've not really been able to free ourselves of, or, or perhaps just because we feel spiritually lethargic. You know, you might find yourself here this morning and you, you, know, you believe the things that we're talking about, you believe the things that we're, we're singing uh, about, but they don't really have much impact on you. You kind of agree that they're true, but your spiritual life feels a little bit mundane, a little bit lifeless. Uh, it doesn't really animate you on a day-to-day basis. Your spiritual life is lived out, not in color, but in black and, black and white. All of us at one point or another struggle with this sense of, of inadequacy, a feeling that we might not have what it takes. And this is where verse 9 comes in. Take a look at it with me. Because God shows up and he does something that we might not expect. He doesn't show up and give Joshua a pep talk. Hey, Joshua, you do have what it takes, right? You got this, boy. let's go. That's not what God says. No, verse 9, he shows up and he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do, me, do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's saying to Joshua, Joshua, you are inadequate, but I am not. You don't have what it takes, but I do. And I, in all my sufficiency, will be with you wherever you go. The promise of this text is not that you can be your best you, but that God will be our best God. And that he will sustain us wherever we go and whatever we might go through. Now just take a look at the text and see how this promise, the promise of God's presence, reinterprets the entire passage. Let's look at these three commands and see how the promise of God's presence changes things for Joshua. First of all, the command that he would arise and cross the river, this impossible task. Look what God tells him then in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He's saying, yeah, I'm asking you to do the impossible. But don't worry, because I'm going to be there to do it for you. Yes, this thing you can't do by yourself But I'm not going to leave you alone to try and do it by yourself. I'm not setting you up to fail. I'm not going to forsake you in that way. I'm going to be with you to see you through. As the book unfolds, don't we read the miraculous way in which the Israelites do indeed cross the Jordan River and how the Lord's presence with them made all the difference. See, though, again, the promise of his presence reinterprets the the second command. The second command where he's told to be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people, we read, to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Why should you be strong and courageous? Because I have sworn to give this land to your fathers. He's saying, you can be strong because I've already promised to do this. You can be strong because I'm asking you to do something that I have already promised I am going to do. You can go and take the land because I have promised that I'm going to give it to you. This isn't up to you. This isn't dependent upon you. This is dependent upon my presence with you. And then thirdly, see how it interprets the the last command as well. That he might obey the uh, the law. And the text continues, verse 7. 
that you may have good success. Do not depart from my word to the right hand or to the left hand, that you might have good success wherever you go. He's saying, understand, um, the Lord is saying, stick close to me. Follow my law. Stay near to me. And wherever we go, all will be well. I am with you. Stay close to me. And my presence will make all the difference. Now, see what's starting to happen for Joshua here? He's been given this impossible task of following Moses. He's been given these three impossible responsibility on his first day at the office. But now the Lord has drawn near and promised to be with him through it all. To enable him to do all that God is asking him to do. The power, uh, the promise of God's presence with them changes the way that Joshua sees everything. It's like the glasses that enables him to see in color. Now, of course, this promise, this promise of God's presence, isn't just a promise that was made to Joshua, but a promise that is made to us as well. God's presence wasn't limited to one time, to one people, to one era. He is present, yes, with Joshua in the Bronze Age, but he is present with us in the Digital Age as well. Look at a couple of New Testament passages with me. First of all, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 that quotes from this section in Joshua. Verse 5, Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. So don't always be pursuing something else. Don't always think that you needed one more thing. Don't always think that happiness is around the next corner when you achieve the next milestone. No, don't, don't, don't be captive by those things. Instead, be content with what you have. Be happy where you are. Realize that right now all is well. Why? He quotes from Joshua. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The promise of the Old Testament was that God would be with his people. Here in the book of Hebrews, this promise is applied to New Testament believers as well. One more example, and famously, if you flick to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus issues his great commission, telling us that all authority belongs to him, that he has full rule and reign and sway over all things, commanding us to go out and bring this gospel to people to baptize them, to teach them about our faith, and then he ends it, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Old Testament promise of God's presence being applied to New Testament believers in Christ. And of course we know the cost of this promise. It's a gospel promise. For, for Christ to promise that he would never forsake us, he had to be forsaken by the Father. He had to be forsaken on the cross. For him to promise that he would always be with us, he had to be abandoned by the Father, abandoned on the cross. This is a gospel promise where Jesus, the one who has lived and died, has now risen and ascended that he might rule forever, but not in a far-off, aloof distant way. By the power of his spirit, he draws near to us in this life and promises to make his presence known to us. And so what we have is a reversal, a shift, a change, where all the things that used to overwhelm us are ministered to, not by the promise that we've really got what it takes, but by the promise that he is with us. 
the promise of his presence that becomes like those glasses that enable us to see, not black and white, but color. Not black and white, but color. Now, the power of that picture to me is, or the aspect of God's love that we really want to draw out just now is, understand that the Spirit doing that work, it doesn't change things. It just enables us to see things that are already there. So, when, when our friend William Reed is seeing black and white, when he puts the glasses on, it's not like everything suddenly becomes colorful. It was colorful before, but now he's able to see the vibrancy of the color. And in the same way, one of the ways the Holy Spirit does his work in our life is by drawing near to us, making us aware of his presence and enabling us to see all of the ways in which we are already loved. You understand this morning that your greatest need this morning is not to be loved by God. You are already loved by God. That is already happening, whether you're aware of it or not. Our need this morning is to see it. It's to have these lenses, these glasses of faith that will enable us to see the full spectrum of it. Imagine with me for a minute. Um, tomorrow morning, there's a knock very early on your door and you go downstairs and there's a package from Amazon there. Okay, Sweet. Uh, package is uh, about the size of my Bible. Okay. And you open it up and inside there's, there's a glasses case. And you flick open the, the, the glasses case and, and you pull out a pair of sunglasses. And you look a little confused because you're not exactly sure who sent you these. But then, not at your wife's encouragement, but at Jesus' encouragement, you put them on. Right? And the second you do, you're able to see all the ways in which he loves you. You're able to see all the ways in which he loves you. Every way in which he is pouring out his love to you in this moment is, is, is now visible to you. Your spiritual life has gone from black and white to color. Can you imagine the difference that's going to make to your day? You go upstairs to get ready and you step on the scale and you just don't really care as much about what it says. Right? You pick out your outfit and you get ready and you're just really a lot, just left self, self-conscious about it all. You jump in the car and your commute to work and traffic slow because it always is. And instead of cursing God and man, you enjoy the opportunity to reflect upon all the ways in which he's already loved you that morning. You go into the office for, that, for a meeting with your, with your boss and you find that so conscious of the approval of the king, you're a little less concerned about what she thinks of you. Uh, you go home from work and on your way in you bump into a neighbor and you talk to them about a neighbor and you even talk to them about Christ's love because you can see it everywhere and it'd be strange not to bring that up. You sit down for dinner with your family and uh, your challenging spouse or your you know, testing children, you just have a new level of compassion for them because you're seeing how much you're being loved and so it just becomes a little easier to love other people. Uh, you make your way out to community group and you walk in the door and you laugh because everyone's wearing glasses. And you talk together about the colors that you've seen. And you discuss how difficult it is to see color, how, how awkward it can be to see color in a world that only sees black and white. Uh, you go home and you pay some bills and you don't feel as anxious about it all. And then you lay down your head and you just feel rest. Your mind's not worrying, it's not spinning, it's just reflecting on how how loved you are by Christ. 
See the difference in an awareness of his presence with us, an awareness of his love. The awareness of the fact that he is with us wherever we go makes in our day-to-day lives. And that's, that's the work of the Spirit. Not to show us something that doesn't already exist, but to show us something that does already exist. To give us the eyes of faith to see how much we're loved. So here's my homework for you. Obviously, there will be no Amazon package. Maybe there will, not big thing, right? But tomorrow morning, get up and try and be mindful of this. Be on the lookout. Look for ways of how God has, has already showered love on you in, in, in the day. See how many you can count up by breakfast. See how many you can count up by lunch. See how many you can count up by dinner. And then write these things down and over family dinner, share. What did you see? What, what evidence was there that God loved you today? Uh, share about, share with, your, with your roommates. Discuss it in your community groups. The evidence and examples, the, the colors that you've seen on the spectrum of God's love for you. I promise you, um, in a sense, heaven will be the same. In another sense, it will be completely different. Your life will be the same, but it will be completely different. You'll go from seeing black and white to living the Christian life in color. That's what an awareness of God's presence with us does. We'll find that spiritually, we're not in Kansas anymore. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this text that opens with the death of Moses, this mighty yet humble man. How Joshua must have uh, shaken in his sandals at the prospect of taking over from And then for the commands that you give him, Lord, each impossible in their own way, but for the promise at the end, which reinterprets the whole narrative, enables us to see it differently, uh, diverts the attention from Joshua to you, from his inadequacy to your adequacy. And Lord, we need the same thing in our lives. We need you to come by the power of the Spirit, not to um, change reality. You already love us, but we need you to come and show us how much that we would have the eyes of faith to see the full spectrum of your love. Would you make us mindful? Help us to count these ways up. Uh, Would we enjoy your love together even now, we pray. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.